Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Beth Ravelli. She is a motherhood story coach. Bev, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. I'm really great, actually, even though it's Monday. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have you here and looking forward to jumping in and sharing all the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the work you're doing, Beth. So with that being said, let's get started. So this is quite a unique title you've given yourself. I, I love it. Can you explain what a motherhood story coach is and the work you do as a motherhood story coach? Yeah, I would love to explain that. This is the common reaction from people. Exactly what you said. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so the easiest way to explain it, the way I like to talk about it is think about somebody who is a money coach or an abundance coach. We're That is a more common title that we would hear, especially in the coaching world. And what people do who have that title would help you look at what are your messages around money? What's getting in the way of the abundance in your life? So transfer that then to motherhood story coach. What are the messages in your life around motherhood that you hold that you probably haven't even stopped to think about? And how are those getting in the way of you moving toward your dream of someday having a child or even getting in the way of you being able to decide if you even want to have a child in your life? I'm going to back up a little bit and do some definition explanation that might help people to understand because I've created my own language around this. So there are two terms I like to use. The first one is the motherhood story and the other is motherhood story vision. So As I said, we all have these stories or these messages that are associated with the whole concept of motherhood. Now, here's where I diverge a little than how we might culturally normally think about this. If someone asked you, what is your motherhood story? Most people would say, oh, I became a mom at. And Mm -hmm. what I like to say is that your motherhood story started at the point that you became conscious that you could someday be a mother. And then you started to collect all of these messages and information that you got from your, you know, surroundings and from your family about what motherhood means. So consider that there's a long path there, right? You could be 30, you could be 32. You've developed all of this. And I can go into some of the common messages later. Now there's also what I call a motherhood story vision. And that is the basis of the work that I do with women. The motherhood story vision is the vision of what it is you want to move toward. So I do exercises with women to establish that. So if you think of your motherhood story as this long path, your motherhood story vision is somewhere in that path. You could say at the end of your current path, because Mm -hmm. that's where you're trying to move. And so if we look at all the things along the path, and then we start to clear those things And that could be through exercises such as forgiveness exercises that I do with women. We clear that space so that path seems a little clearer rather than trying to climb over all the boulders and fall in all the divots that are in the way. And obviously, it's not a perfect process and it never will be. And at the same time, if we can find more freedom in this area of our lives, that is what I'm going for, is just this greater sense of freedom. And the reason why we're so caught up is because we don't even know we need to look at this. We don't stop to look at it. 
it's just something that we take for granted in our culture. So I'll pause there because I could keep talking forever. <laughs> I'll pause for a second. <laughs> it'll, you're right. It'll never be perfect because life is not perfect. Life right. is messy and we all uh-huh. go through all the shit and the mud and like you said, the boulders, the divots, all of that stuff. It's all part of the process, right? So it's going to take time and it's going to be messy, period. Yes, exactly. And so when I use the word freedom, what I mean by that is really like an acceptance, an acceptance in life of the mess, an acceptance yeah. that it's going to be this way, an acceptance that I'm always going to be human and I'm always going to have mm-hmm. something. So in the acceptance of that's where a lot of the freedom is. And there is healing work that we can do that brings even more freedom And I've had that experience in my own life. So I say it from, not from a headspace, but very much from a heart space. And that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that your clients would experience, right? Is that that forgiveness piece and realizing and coming to the realization that it is going to be messy and it's not going to be perfect. It's a hard thing to step into and and accept. Yes, always for all of us as human beings. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So how did you come up with the title of Motherhood Story Coach? I wish I could take credit for it, (laughs) but it it actually was a woman I worked with, Dana Magnus, who's a marketing person, and she just so got what I was doing and believed in me and said, I want to help you. And she came up with it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Now, what were you doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship in the coaching world, Beth? Oh, goodness. So I won't go back into all of my history, (laughs) but I've had five careers in my life. Okay. And what I did prior, though, and that took up the bulk of my career time was as in technology. So I was in technology. I was a project manager. My last gig before I left to be a full-time coach was a senior project manager, like consultant at Salesforce. So I used to work lead teams at Fortune 50 companies for Salesforce projects. That was my world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what was the catalyst for that shift or that jump into entrepreneurship for you? That's a very long answer. (laughs) Uh, So it really started many years ago, goodness, at least 20 or more years ago. I was going through a really hard time in my life. I call it my years of tears. And I had been divorced at 36. I was... In a space where I, six years after that, had to face the fact that I had biologically missed motherhood, that I would never be able to have my own child. And that had to do with just my body going into early menopause, which is very unusual at 42. And so even though there were six years in between, I was still in the midst of all of it. I had a lot of trauma in my life and in my married life. And by the time that I was working through all of that. I had these, there's so much anxiety, so much pain, trying to figure out my life. And there was this one Friday night where I got in my car, I left my job and I was in it and feeling really resentful about all of the people who got to go hang out with friends or go home to their families and their kids. And here I was going home alone again. And Mm -hmm. it was just this space of just so much sadness inside. And there was just this like little light moment that hit me where I thought, whoa, I'm not the only woman in this world who's going through this. There has to be other women who feel the same way as me. And someday I'm going to create something for them. Now, obviously what I'm doing is a little bit different than that, but that was the seed of, Mm -hmm. I want to do something different in the world and I want to have an impact. And so it was a very long journey, the journey that included just tons of therapy and different programs and things to help me get to the place where one, I could even be alone without anxiety, which I did get to, where I wasn't walking around depressed all the time, where I could actually live my life and live it from a place of choice, as opposed to being a victim to every circumstance that was going on. It just took a long time. It was a long journey for me. I even had people along the way, a coach who said to me, yeah, you're not ready for this. You're not ready to do anything in the world. Just go back to doing your healing. Wow. <laughs> that was really hard for me, I remember. I'm sure. <laughs> in retrospect, I could see why she said what she said. And at the same time, I go, there's so much learning that can be had 
when you put yourself out there, right? It's all part of the process. It's not a black and white, oh, you're working toward it. Now you're ready. Cross over the threshold and go. It's more integrative, right? Like we're yeah. always learning. And and I can say, and, and here's the thing. I actually did start another business in 2010. I started my own project management consulting business. So I did that for three years. And that was a great time of learning for me as well. And a, a great risk that I took to take myself to the next level in myself, in my healing and in my career. So I'm very grateful that I did that leap and took that risk. So getting to being an entrepreneur now has been a totally different experience because it's this <laughs> completely different level of going from doing work that's being externally driven to doing work that is internally driven. And that is a huge learning experience. <laughs> That's one hell of a light bulb moment. Yeah. Incredible. It was. I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches have been through their own personal struggles and journeys before making the leap into the coaching world. And we've all had our struggles and our shit and our mud that we've gone through as human beings. But what I have found though, is that for most of the people, most of the women I speak with now who are coaches, that personal struggle or that personal journey was the catalyst for leaping into and becoming a coach. Can you share a little bit more about your journey? I know you've touched on it here but you speak a little bit more about it. Yes. Here's the thing. Like a lot of my story is very similar, I think, to what a lot of women have struggled with in our culture. I think especially women in my age group. So I'm Gen X, I'm 55, mm -hmm. and I straddle this space where they even sometimes call us the forgotten generation, by the way. <laughs> I, I straddle this space because we're not baby boomers and we're not millennials. And those two groups get a lot of airplay. And Gen X, I'm like, wait, what about us? We're here too. <laughs> but my point is that we straddle the space of like the very traditional mindset moving into this more like I am an independent woman with a career mindset. And we had both of those in our lifetimes. So trying to make sense of that. I'm saying that because that informed a lot of how I related to men in my life. Okay. Of course, growing up, messages that I got, and then my cultural messages. And so there was a sense inside that I didn't even realize I had because I was such this strong, independent woman. And because my mother raised us that way. And at the same time, these kind of confused messages of, but at the same time, you have to, you still in a way are subservient to a man or a man is better than you or those things that our culture has told us for so long. And so it was hard for me to find my voice. It's taken a long time to get there. And that played out in my marriage. So to get to my story, my marriage was to a guy I met him at church. I was 24 years old. We got married at 27. I really felt it was like I was in this space of this is God, this is, I attributed all this spirituality to it and the ideal to it and didn't want to face the real <laughs> of, yeah. of, of everything. And I didn't have the skills to do it. I didn't have the capacity. I wasn't ready. I remember somebody saying to me just before we got married, there's no guarantees. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, and I didn't want to hear that. You're 27 no. years old. Like, I don't want to hear that. He was right. <laughs> yeah, true. I, you very know, true. I wasn't ready to face that. So I get married. My ex-husband and I, we were really a good fit in a lot of ways. But the thing I didn't realize was the extent of the things going on inside of him, the demons that he was carrying. And that came back to bite our marriage in a huge way. So he had an affair after we were married five years. Then he revealed to me he was a sex addict. We did a lot of recovery work. He also was an alcoholic. Addictions are just a manifestation of our inner issues. You can insert addiction A, addiction B, addiction C. Yeah. Those were his addictions of choice. And I mean, a whole new world was opened up to me because I had to learn about this thing called sexual addiction. And I was just like, this wasn't something I signed up for. But at the same time, as someone who called herself a Christian, even though biblically I had every reason to walk away, there was no way I grew up with a mom who said, you always work through things. But my mother never considered the fact that I was going to marry somebody that messed up. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so well, you I can't plan for that. <laughs> no, exactly. No, you can't. And I had no idea. And I was like, why did I pick this guy who's like, has more issues than any person I've ever dated and I marry him? <laughs> So what the heck was that? 
I've been really actually quick aside. I'm doing this salon right now about marriage. And one of the things we talk about is how you actually pick somebody who isn't necessarily because you're in love with them, but who's really going to challenge you. I think yeah. this is a common thing and someone who probably is going to cause you more pain than you want. <laughs> so, but I signed up for so much more than I imagined. I'm glad I can laugh about it now. <laughs> so, that's, that's the good thing. Exactly. I can laugh about it and see what you've learned and how you've grown and come through it. Totally. So true. And my biggest thing was I had to learn how to be by myself. That was my goal for a long time is how do I be by myself? I didn't know it. I never had to be alone to the extent that I was alone now. And facing that, staring that specter in the face made all the difference for my life. That's really where a lot of the empowerment came when I was like, you know what? I can, I'm okay. And then from there, when we were divorced, I could hardly pay our mortgage. And I moved in my career so far beyond that where I was funding myself to go live in other countries for months, doing what I wanted. And that took me, it took so much work, inner work for the outer part to align and for me to move into that space of abundance in my life. And it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. That's the key, right? Is doing the inner work. And that's the big stumbling block for a lot of people is that they don't want to do the inner work. They're too scared to look inside because of what they'll see. You have to do it. Yeah. It, well, if you want to go somewhere, you don't have yeah, to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're going to stay stuck if you don't. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a huge thing. Yeah, you'll stay stuck. You'll, you'll just keep repeating all the same things. And so how have these experiences helped shape the Beth you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Oh, goodness. I have so much more wisdom. I'm still also total human in process, but I have a lot more wisdom now. I have a lot more wisdom to sit back and not make things about me in the same way that I used to. And I'm going to tell you, be honest, that's really come even at a deeper level over the last few months. Just being able to sit back and let people be people. Yeah, that's huge. We're constantly evolving. We're human beings. We're always growing and expanding and learning and that's a big part of this experience called life that we're all going through. Yeah. And being okay with that and getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. That's it. It's totally it. What then was your biggest or most valuable takeaway from those experiences, Beth? Mm. I think a big one is that I'm not going to die of my inside pain, that feeling it, even at the depths I felt we're talking fetal position on the floor feeling yeah. it. Didn't know how I was going to survive. Suicide ideation was very real for me, but I was able to feel it and not die. We are a lot stronger than we give ourselves credit for. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's a beautiful thing when you realize that it's yeah. powerful. Right? Yeah. Yes, it is. And then there's still the fear. There's still mm -hmm. the fear that the pain will be too big. As much pain as I faced in my life, there's still, I don't know if that's wired into us somehow, but like, I think so. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, that fear of the pain's going to be too much. And I'm sure you've heard this before and other people have heard this before, but the pain as we imagine it is usually much bigger than the pain, the pain actually is. Yes, for sure. Again, it goes back to us being humans. We tend to make mountains out of molehills. <laughs> that's just what we do. It's not as bad as we make it out to be. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's all the things we make it mean. It's not so let's, I'm going to go back to the motherhood story piece and motherhood. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm doing this work is because I missed motherhood, <laughs> which I mentioned right. earlier. And yeah. people always give me that head nod or like an inquisitive look or confused look. When I say that, they're like, what, how could you be doing that? I've actually even had a couple of coaches say to me, how can you do this? People come to you come to coaches because you have what they don't have. You don't have a child. You never had one. Why would they ever come to you? And I had to really battle through that because I feel that I was given this message. If you've ever read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks about that, about how ideas roam the world, looking for people to, to adopt them and steward them. <laughs> and I feel that way about this idea. And it came from a very passionate spiritual place inside of me. It wasn't just some thought thing. Oh, this is a great idea. <laughs> you know? No, I, I feel passionate about this because I know the pain of what it is to have missed it. Now, not everyone who misses motherhood is going to have that same pain or the same level That's of pain. Right. It's different for everyone. Some people choose to not be a mom at all, and they're totally cool with that. Great. And here's what I've noticed. 
when you are what I consider to be a minority in our culture. So I'm very tuned into the, what they call the childless, not by choice community. There's a lot of pain in the world or women that were just like me who didn't have children for whatever reason, sickness, cancer, infertility, whatever. Mm -hmm. We feel very much a minority in our culture. As much as people might not see it, there is a way of looking at our world that is very family centric which kind of, I think is funny because people talk about the downfall of the family. And I'm like, well, from my perspective, that mindset seems very much alive. <laughs> and you see it. And here's where I will give you an example of where I've seen it and where all CNBC women see it. When somebody asks you, one, people are very free to ask you if you have children. And it's not even thinking that could be a sore spot in your life. Yep. Two, they ask you and then you go, no, I don't. And then the first thing they want to do is fix you. Well, you're still young enough, right? You can adopt a child. You're still young. You're going to be okay. There's such an uncomfortability with that whole concept, like we're defective in a way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I say all that to bring awareness or to bring us back to this point of when someone is a minority in a culture, you notice the very intentional and also the unintentional aggressions and microaggressions that go on. When you're in the majority, you usually only recognize the very intentional aggressions. You right. don't see the minor unintentional microaggressions that people do. That's just part of the fabric of our culture, which is what led me to finally go, yeah, I actually am the perfect person to be doing this work because I understand what's going on underneath. I see what's going on underneath. And when we're coming from a place of the majority Women don't, they don't know that they just don't know what they don't know. And yeah. I, I see the things. And so the work I do elicits them, provokes them to think about the things that they don't know that they don't know and bring awareness to that so they can really get to know themselves in this area a little bit better. And then here's a picture that I like to use. Imagine that our life is like a circle and you're in a room. That's a circle. That, and around that circle are a lot of doors. And each of those doors represents something different in our life. It could be parenthood. It could be romantic relationship, career, whatever those doors are for you. Now consider that for people who can be mothers, there is a motherhood door. But normally that door has cobwebs on it. Normally that door is all in disarray behind. But all of the rooms behind the doors all have an opening that allow all of the rooms to be connected. So right. I use that picture to illustrate the integration of our lives. And so when we ignore the one door, it affects other parts of our lives too. Like yeah, sure. women who have done my program will be like, whoa, I didn't realize the toll this was taking on my romantic relationship. I didn't realize how it was affecting my business or my career because we're not taught to have the awareness around it. And it's just common to stuff all of that. We miss out. And what more there could be by uncovering and opening the door and looking in the room and rearranging it and adding some color to it. Yeah, it's true, though. When things aren't going right in one area of your life, they're going to bleed into all the other areas. It's just going to happen. That's what it does. You're affected in everything else you do. Exactly. You can't, it's very hard to silo each, like you said, each room and close the doors, lock the doors so that it doesn't get through. It's going to come through. Yeah. It's not possible. Exactly. So consider the fact that this is why I am a motherhood story coach, because our motherhood story is so important. We are not taught to look at it. And if anything, right now, there is a lot of narrative going on right now about women embracing, really looking at how they want to be moms. It's different these days. It's not like before where you just became a mom. That's right. Now it's, we have to think about things differently. People have other considerations that they bring into play, like about the climate or should I even have a child or about finances and what that means that people didn't used to think that way. It's just, it's different now. And we, we're up to yeah. about 8 billion people on this planet. I was just having this conversation this weekend with my boyfriend. We were looking up the change in population over the last... I don't have her millennia. And we're like, it's your 401k, the compounding interest. It's like, yeah. the more you add, the more are going to be added. So it's crazy. So people are more hesitant about within the day and age we're living in. Granted, people during World War II felt the same way. But we have to look at where we're at now. 
We have to yes. look at how do we do this now? And so the narrative I see, which is great, is women going, I need to freeze my eggs. I need to figure out how I'm going to go forward. I need to make sure I have all my money saved. I need to, all of these things considered before you can move into having a child. And I think that's great in some ways. And it can also become a barrier because it's easy to keep going. Like we talked about before, waiting for things to be perfect. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so are you going to use those things to get in your way? Cause you're just scared or are you just being mindful of what you yeah. need to do. So that's yeah. a question women need to ask themselves. But I want to get back to the the narrative I see is a little bit, I believe, my opinion, a little bit more in a masculine energy right now because we're looking at all the things we can do. And what I'm trying to do is bring a little bit more of a feminine inside out receiving place of what is it that my soul truly wants? What is it that I want my life to look like? rather than what can I do to tackle do, this, do, do. To tackle this yeah. problem and create a solution for it. And it's not that those things are bad. It's just, I believe it's a both and. So what I'm doing is presenting a both and. Love it. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? One, I don't know anyone else who's a motherhood story coach. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I've done a lot of research and reading other books. And the person who is the closest to what I'm up to is Sarah Kowalski. She wrote Motherhood Reimagined, but she is specifically focused on empowering women to be single moms by choice, not as your plan B, but as your plan A. She and I actually know each other. We're colleagues. We're actually creating a course together right now. But, oh, very cool. Yeah. But I see it. A lot of people more like in the fertility space, helping women understand their bodies. How do you freeze your eggs? Dr. Amy is a huge person. She's in the East Bay in San Francisco. She does a lot of work with women to help them understand their bodies. She does egg freezing parties. And so what I'm trying to do is the inside part, not the medical part or right. yeah, the practicals. What, in your opinion, is the most important quality or skill set in a coach? Somebody who can truly listen and put their own agenda aside. I, the program that I did to become a coach was intense. It was an amazing program. And the thing that I saw for myself over and over, which is probably why it's the most important for me, is especially as someone who was a consultant for many years, it's so easy for me to put that hat on. It's so easy for me to see where I believe someone needs to go. And to really sit back and ask people questions about what they think and where they want to go and let them be who they are in their own brand of magic in the world is a challenge, can be a challenge. And I yeah. see it with a lot of people. I, I've been around a lot of coaches and I see a lot of people do that. It's a very easy thing to do. It's very tempting to put that hat on and go, well, I, I know how to help you. The thing is to remember that you're there to guide them, give them the tools and just guide them. It's the journey is theirs to take and to go on. Yes. I coach for an organization called Rise Leadership Circle. So whatever women sign up with me. So I coach a lot of women every month through them. And I see a lot of women actually wanting me to give them the answer often. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to look to somebody to say, what do I need? What should I do here? And that's the rub in the coaching moment, right? What do you want to do? Or what do you think? What is your gut telling you? Because that's where the self-trust and the self-love get built because for sure they're not relying on somebody else. They get to trust themselves. And even if they made a mistake, they get to learn to trust themselves. What are some of the main benefits of working with a motherhood story coach? So I will relate to you the benefits that the women who've gone through my program have said. Ownership, like I came into the program going, yeah, motherhood will just happen when it happens, which is a very common thing I hear. Well, I just want it to be organic. It'll just happen when it happens. But what the women realize is that when they get a little more intentional about it, they start to understand where they actually have more agency than they thought they did. It's just, oh, I can do with this what I want. I don't have to be at the mercy of whatever it is they see themselves at the mercy of. I have actually had women come in who are single, who then find a guy in their life. Now, the first person that happened to in all transparency, it ended up not working out, but it was a great journey for her 
to start to understand more of what it is that she wanted. I've actually got someone right now who's having that same experience in my program who just met a guy right after we started. It happens. This magic just happens. Things open up for people. When you say yes to something in your life, even before you've done all of the work, it moves something and things just start to change because the world changes when we do. It's one of my favorite quotes. And when we start to shift ourselves, the things around us shift. Those are the benefits of this work. And it's just really sometimes a difficult thing to grasp because, again, we are not taught to think that way about motherhood, but it is a gateway to some amazing stuff happening in your life. Beautifully described. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do, Beth? It's such an easy answer. It is the moment of magic with somebody when I am coaching them. Like that moment when we get into a line of questioning and then all of a sudden light bulbs start to go off and I feel like spirit inside and there's just this connection and I'm sourced, they're sourced and everyone's just on a little bit more firing spiritual high. We're fi- I love that. Yes. Firing in all <laughs> cylinders. Yeah. that That's what makes it really magical for me. Now on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts? The challenging part uh, is when I'm coaching somebody where it doesn't feel like it's clicking at all. And that's because it challenges me and my own ego and, oh, is anything happening here? Am I making a difference for this person? It's not about me. And I don't really know what's going on for this person. And I'm assuming that I know what's going on for this person, but I really don't. And it's funny because I will have people be like, oh, that was such a great session. And in my head, I'm thinking, not really, but okay, that's my (laughs) own interpretation. So getting out of the way. And that, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that we tend to get in our own way. We are our own biggest hurdles, right? Totally. My own biggest critic. Yeah, for sure. So easy. What are three of the most important lessons you've learned as a motherhood story coach? That women who are ready for this work are ready for the work. Nobody comes into the program with one foot in and one foot out. If they're in, they're in. All in. Yeah. And accepting that not everyone's going to be ready for that. Another thing I've learned is patience and to honor other people in their power as I honor myself in my power. And I used to get really frustrated when people (laughs) would say no. And I'm sure most starting coaches could probably relate to that. But it was hard for me inside. I'm like, but I'm so passionate about this thing and I get it. Why don't you get it? I can help you. Yes. Why don't you see see it right in front of you? Exactly. Very frustrating. And I just did this really cool six month thing with a coach by the name of Melissa Ford. She is connected to Steve Chandler. If you know him, he was co-writer of the prosperous coach with Rich Litvin. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she does the really cool program. She wrote a book about service mindset. And she does a program in groups, masterminds that are about developing your service mindset and how you're relating to people. And you come up with what we call your service game. And so this was my service game. And I made huge leaps during those six months. It was, you are powerful, what's best for you. And I will not be convincing you of anything. I will honor my wholeness as I let you shine. That is powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm feeling it right now. My whole body. Yeah, Yeah, that's huge. (laughs) Yeah. And I think especially the last part, because I would relate somebody's saying no to my own quote unquote deficiency. Why don't you want to work with me? What's wrong with me? Exactly. Which is a message that goes way back to my childhood. The people pleasing and all of those things that I learned so well and It's still something I'm unraveling. And that's why being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. Oh, no. Because it will challenge every part of you. It will challenge all of your buttons and it'll trigger everything that's there. And I always like to say that being an entrepreneur has very little to do with your business. And it's all about who you're becoming in the process. 100%. It will stretch you in ways you never even thought imaginable. Yes. (laughs) It is huge. You're right. It is not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. And people need to realize that for sure. It's a long journey. Yeah. Yes, it is. And so back to the patients, I've learned much more about patience, much (laughs) more about honoring other people, about honoring myself in the midst of all of it, that it's a very brave thing 
to stand in a space where you go, I'm not really sure that this is about me or them or what's going on and still love yourself. Yeah, for sure. Beth, you are the creator of the Blow Up the Clock program. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Tell us what it's all about, the inspiration for creating it. Yeah, very much feel it was a spiritual download. The whole thing starts with the inside out work. So as I mentioned earlier, the messaging, the stories, we examine those from different perspectives. We examine those stories through a cultural lens, through a family lens, through an ethnicity lens. I've had a woman go through as Indian. She had all of that she brought to the table. We work on clearing. We work on forgiveness. We try to shift the energy that's around those things. That's the purpose of it. And that's where the freedom is shifting that. So you're not beholden to it. So it's not tying you down anymore. And as I said earlier, if we're not being tied down by those things, then we actually see that we have more choice in our life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so we work through that. I like to give women role models. I call it curiously collecting stories. And our view or point of view perspective is only as big as it was growing up or as we allow it to be. And so I encourage women to expand their perspective of motherhood. So they get to watch a lot of interviews from women of different walks of motherhood, partnered, single, adoption, stepmother, or bonus mom. <laughs> yeah. And these are women who are empowered around their story. And I find that is the part of the program that opens women up the most because they suddenly realize, oh, I've been looking at it only through this one lens and there's actually other lenses that I can use. And so once they open that up, it's, oh, I have more power than I thought. I can make this. Light bulb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really huge. We also do a lot of practical work, like look at your body. They get educated on all the different kinds of issues that could come up while trying to get pregnant, fertility issues. Because I'm involved in the CNBC community, I see so many different kinds of stories. And just to reiterate, that means childless, not by choice. There are a lot of women who suffered the pains of going through infertility and hearing over and over again, oh, just keep having hope, keep having hope, it'll happen. And then they finally burn out and are completely disillusioned and they end up not having a child. And it's just so painful. And so one of the things I have women do is write a pledge to themselves for the, their future self. If they were to be in that space, what would that future self need to hear through the, the lens they have now where they're not mm. feeling that pain? So that's one of the things that we do. We look at what happens if it doesn't happen. We actually create a vision for what if it doesn't happen in life. It's one of the things that we do. And here's how I describe why I think this is so important, because if we don't stare down the specter of the possibility of motherhood not happening, then we're yeah. living that journey from a place of trying not to lose rather than playing to win because we're running from something, we're avoiding something. So if we face that, which is really hard, I'm going to tell you, it's really hard for women to face, but when they face it, then that gives them even more freedom to be like, okay, if that did happen, here is my vision for my life. This is what I would do and I'll be okay. I know it doesn't mean it might not hurt. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go through grief, but I'm going to be ready. We even, I even have them look at what are your support structures if it doesn't happen and provide them with options. They watch an interview for a woman like myself so they can get a different perspective on life and not live in the bubble of the motherhood culture. I don't know how else to refer yeah, to it. That's a game changer for sure to give them that view through that different lens of, you know what, if it doesn't happen, mm -hmm. prepare but have that support system and start to think about that because it is a possibility, right? Yep, definitely. That's powerful. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? My intuition, being tuned in, being passionate about creating that space for other women, being, and I think my superpower really in life is my honesty with myself. People will say that. <laughs> You're really honest. I'm like, yeah, I am. And it's not like I try to be. It's just who I am. It's how I'm wired. Yeah. And that honesty with myself has allowed me, enabled me to go through that healing process and to continue to go through the journey. And at the same time, because of that and because of my own freedom, I found I can hold the space for other people. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? 
<laughs> Such a great question. It's something I've really been working on myself <laughs> over the last year because success, I didn't realize it, but to me, success was only dollars. Mm -hmm. That's how I was seeing it. And when I was in the corporate world and when I felt like a strong, powerful woman, it was because I had a lot of money. Right. Why can't I be strong and powerful without a lot of money? Why does it need to look this way? And so for me, success as being is really living my life in a way that has integrity, that's aligned with what I know I'm supposed to be doing and not doing it because somebody else says to. So that I can be 95 and look back on my life and go, I did that thing. Even if it didn't work out the way I wanted, I did the thing I knew I needed to do. I lived my life to the fullest and I didn't give up. Love it. That's the important piece right there. That last piece is you didn't give up. That is the most important piece of all, I think, is not giving up. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? That freedom and being true to myself is not about my circumstances. That is about mm. my inner world and how I hold myself and how I love myself. My life before, very much a victim. Life after, yes, victim can certainly be there. And I feel like I'm still unraveling that victim consciousness at times. Actually, I'm going to be less evasive with my answer because I feel like I'm <laughs> trying to sound perfect rather than just being me, which is, no, I totally struggle with that at times. But now I understand the difference. I understand that I can choose differently and that there's something else. Even if I don't know how to get there in the moment, I still have the realization that I will get there. We all go through that. We, we all play the victim mm -hmm. at some point. And it's, again, it, I think it's giving ourselves space and grace around that and to know that, okay, it's okay. I'm here in this now. Yeah. It's just a matter of not living there yes. and pulling yourself out. Yeah, exactly. Having the self-awareness. Yeah. And shortening the time we spend there. Yes. <laughs> and I think the more that comes in, like anything with practice, you're going to be able to shorten that amount of time. You're going to get better at it so that you don't stay stuck in it as long each time that it comes up. Yeah. Right. Yes. Totally. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I have to say my mom, I'm going to use past tense. My mom died when I was 23, but who she was as a person was such a bright light in this world. If anyone was a natural coach, it was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she just was that person. We'd be at the airport standing in line. I remember this in college because I had to take the plane back to school. And by the time we get to the front of the line, she's got the whole life story of the guy behind her. That was my mom. She really cared about people and people loved her because she truly cared for people. She was such a great example of that. And just a seeker of truth a seeker of her own healing in life. And she modeled that for me of what it was to seek that out and to not allow the shame or the hurt feelings or whatever it is to get in the way of going, no, I'm going to find the support I need. My mother taught me how to look for support. Most people don't have that gift. True. In my worst times, I always sought people out. Of course, the other side of that was learning to outsource my salvation. <laughs> but <laughs> but I got what I needed and because of it, it helped me to heal. What does the word empowerment mean to you? It goes back to what I said before about choice. It just means making choices from a deep, intuitive gut place that we know are best for us as opposed to doing it because we think we're supposed to or our culture tells us to or our family tells us to. All but, the bullshit conditioning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could set up a billboard anywhere... Where would you put it and what would it say? That's a great question. I've got to go for the uh, biggest population I can get. I actually have often thought about not so much a billboard. Can I change the, the venue? Sure. <laughs> Take sure. it out a full page ad in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> you are beautiful exactly as you are. We see this all over now. You are beautiful, right? Which I yeah. love every time I see it, but you're beautiful exactly as you are and you don't need to be anything else. That's what my gut tells me. Even if other people are saying it, I still want a full page ad or a billboard that says you're beautiful exactly as you are and you don't need to be anything else or anyone else. Because that's the thing I wish I could often go back and tell my younger self that she could truly get that you are exactly perfect how you are and you don't need to be anyone else.
Beautifully said. Tell me something about yourself that people would be surprised to know or find out. Not everyone would know this, maybe if they follow me on social media or they're my personal friend <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> but I've been a CrossFitter for 13 years and I'm a now officially CrossFit coach. I'm actually coaching my first class by myself tomorrow night. Congratulations. Thank That's you. huge. Good for yeah. you. You should yeah. be very proud. I am. I, I love it. It's an addiction and I love it. <laughs> it's an addiction. It's a cult. It's everything everyone says it is. <laughs> okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here now. So uh -huh. the next grouping of questions to be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Beautiful. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Wisdom. If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? She lived a short title. Let's see. No stone unturned. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Acceptance. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Connection. What is your favorite self-care practice? Walking. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? That your voice matters. No matter what industry you're in, your voice matters. No matter what anyone around you says or what your role says you're permitted to say or be, your voice matters. <laughs> That's an important one. We all could take that page and implement it into our lives for sure. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most? It's really hard to limit it to one. I'm going to say my marriage and the pain of that and walking through it and having to truly become me and not be what I thought I needed to be. Which, that experience has shaped who you are today. Very much. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I'm going to go back to the honoring other people, that I can let other people be who they are, and that's okay, and it doesn't take away from my light in any way. That's an important lesson for sure. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Where to start, Brad? <laughs> that many, huh? No. I think just growing up, hearing a lot, this whole idea of just be happy. I bucked up against that for years because inside I didn't feel happy. And I felt like someone was trying to force me into being who I wasn't. And so as human beings, what we do is we rebel when somebody yes. says something that we just can't relate to. And it took me a long time to even allow myself to be happy because my rebellion caused me to purposefully be unhappy. So yeah, that was another huge revelation during my years of tears of, whoa, I'm being really unhappy because I don't think that it's okay for me to be happy. It's almost like if I am, then I'm validating X as opposed to it's okay. I just saw happy as superficial. And that was for people who weren't in touch with themselves and self-aware and happiness was just like this transient thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I used to argue it. I'd be like, it's not about happiness. It's about joy. Joy is deeper, deeper contentment. Happy is just fleeting. It's just an emotion. Sure. That's true, but it doesn't mean you can't be happy. But I had made a case against happiness and I was going to prove that I was right. <laughs> If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, goodness. So many women. I'm gonna, I mean, Normally, I would, usually, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. I know you asked yeah. for one. <laughs> okay. I would have said Isabella Allende, one of my favorite authors, or Toni Morrison, who's now passed away. But I did just meet Isabella Allende in April. Didn't have an extensive conversation, but it matter. <laughs> so she's like, all right, done that. But if I could sit down... I would probably say, no, it doesn't matter. They don't have to be alive, right? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, God, so many. I, I'm going to say my mom. I wish I could talk to my mom again, the space that I'm at in my life now, and just see what she has to say. Ugh, I would love to have a conversation with her. Yeah. I love that answer. I think about this a lot too, and that hour would never be enough. No. It just mm -mm. wouldn't. No, that is a great point. I would just want more. Yeah, exactly. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't apply logic to what it is you want to do in life. Really go for it. You've got time. You're not going to fall off the edge of the earth 
if you picked the wrong thing or you find out that's not really the thing for you, guess what? You can just go do the next thing because that's what I ended up doing. But if I had gone with my gut, I would have pursued singing. That would have been my thing. And instead I went for something that was close, had some arts related stuff in it, but wasn't that risky because I was like, I'm not that good a singer. I'm okay. So I'm not going to do it and didn't pursue it. Again, the inner struggles and the hurdles and all of that stuff that prevent us, right? Yeah. When it took, and this goes back to your question of things people probably don't know about me, it took going through my years of tears. That's when I picked up a guitar and started to learn just so I could play while I was singing. And then I started writing my own music. I have a lot of songs I've written. And yeah, actually tonight I'm going for a voice lesson for the first time in many years. Very cool. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Good for you. Thanks. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Dig deep to find out who you are. Follow your gut. Do the thing that you need to do to create the life that you want to create. Put everything else aside. It doesn't mean don't consider other people or other things, but listen to your gut first. Because the reality is this life is fleeting and live it like, this is going to sound so trite, but it's true. Live each day like it's your last. Live each one. And this is for me too. I'm not, I don't do that all the time, but really live it and just be. And you know what? Even if you put no title or role or anything on yourself, your just being and your light just being in this world is enough. You don't have to be or do anything. You are powerful just as you are, just by existing. Beautifully said. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story, your journey, the beautiful light you put out into the world through your work you're doing. It's been an absolutely amazing conversation. I've enjoyed every moment of our talk today. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for you being that bright, beautiful light out into the world. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to really share at a deep level. Really appreciate it. My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Beth Ravelli. She is a motherhood story coach. Beth, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.